to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, joining us is Neil Dudley, and we're talking about how sales and marketing is the new hat that farmers must learn to wear. How are you doing today, Neil? I'm great. I'm great, Mr. Rhoda. I so much appreciate this platform, actually, to talk about the things that I know, the things I feel really passionate about. And I just want to say hi to your audience and thank them for their time. If they're spending any minute of their day listening to this, that's a minute they won't get back. I'm going to try to give them the most value I possibly can. We appreciate that. And we want to jump right into it before we hit your background and your story. Why is the sun, why do you believe the sun may be setting on traditional ag? Uh, I think it's, you know, I mean, sun setting seems a little bit too gloomy. I, I don't know if it's <laughs> particularly setting, but it's it's changing. Um, I, I'm preparing uh, kind of a speech about this right now, how I think traditional ag has got to start considering the truth that the market and this sector of the market is demanding more and more information, more and more insight. They may not value or expect efficiency in, in production of pounds, you know, when you start thinking about beef, pork, chicken, any of these things, you know, the, what you ultimately sell is pounds of meat, animal protein, they may not value that the same way they used to. And so farmers and ranchers who have had to do all these million different jobs their whole lives now really need to plug into understanding that sales and marketing is a huge piece of their business, whether they like it or not, whether they understand it or not, whether or not they even want to trust what I'm telling them right now is true. And you mean direct to consumer, right? Direct to consumer sales and marketing? Direct to consumer, I would say even look, B2B. Yeah. B2B. Or I don't know. How how do you sell animals, right? Auction barns or right to somebody that may come on the farm and see them and, and buy them and take them to the next step in the process. There's sales and marketing in that. Matter of fact, there's sales and marketing in me, you and me talking right now. So I just am trying to bring that truth more to the forefront for farmers and ranchers. Now, does that mean sun is setting on traditional uh, agriculture? A little bit. I mean, you're kind of probably getting the twilight. I would say it's transitioning from the way we've been doing it for the last 20, 30, maybe 40 years to, you know, you start hearing this word regenerative pop up a lot more, or sustainability pop up a lot more, for sure in my circles. You know, I mean, I certainly travel in a certain circle, so I can't speak for everybody, but the world I live in, the world I make a good living in, these things are really popping up. And a guy said it the other day just really good. 
Well, my great grandma would have just called that chicken. <laughs> you know, she wouldn't have called it pasture raised or sustainably raised or regeneratively raised. It was just chicken because she had pigs out there and cows out there, and they that's how they did it. There wasn't this big push towards feeding the world at that time. So, yeah. Yeah, it seems like now when we're looking at kind of where the future's going, it's giving us the opportunity for differentiation. The, the bigger players like the Tysons, the JBS, Smithfields might not have to change as much, but we're opening up an opportunity for consumers to have other options where you can get more locally grown food uh, it, with, with just more differentiation in the types of flavor profiles and uh, the type of people you might work with. And, and maybe you're making decisions more on your values, which you're just going to have more options, it sounds like. Oh, you nailed it right there, values. Can we allow the truth that people might buy their food based more on how they think it aligns with their values than how it tastes? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people and more and more so, and, and I have a hard time relating to that because that's not how I think about it. <laughs> but can I be in the minority? Very much so. And Come on, everybody. You just got to think about that. Um, okay, if they're so buying I, it with their values, are we giving them adequate information to make that decision? Is, well, yeah, you better be because somebody will. Matter of fact, I'm banking on that you're not, and I'm going to, so I win, right? So you just got to think. You got to compete with a guy like me who thinks I want them to know everything they could possibly know and feel as informed as they could be. Then if they choose not to buy our product, okay, they didn't want it. They were not our customer. Run the next one in here. Maybe they will be. You can't uh, just sit on the sideline and think another guy's not going to pick that ball up and run with it when the consumer is willing to act on that truth. Absolutely. So tell us about your background. Tell us where you're from. Uh, how do you get involved in, in agriculture and, uh, and how do you get involved with pork and Okay, good, man. I love this story. It's mine. <laughs> you know, everybody loves to talk about their self, right? That's kind of the trick to being a good salesman. Shut up. You know, <laughs> let them talk about their self. Learn what they want, what they really want, what turns their clock. A lot of times you'll find that sometimes it's nothing even close to what you think you're going to provide for them. That's really their value. Anyways, that's, a, that's another rabbit to chase some other time. I was born and raised in a little central Texas town called Comanche on a registered Hereford ranch. And I used to crawl into my mom and dad's bedroom at night, just as quiet as I possibly could, try to get by my dad's side of the bed. So when he woke up, he would step on me and it would wake me up and I get to go with him and go just do those things that he did, whatever it might be. You know, he's my biggest hero. And cowboys, the, that culture that I grew up in, it just is in my bones. I, I just love the animals. I never even crossed my mind that you didn't eat meat. You know, I mean, it's that's just the reality of how I lived. Like, I knew those animals were raised. I knew they were probably going to be for food. Yeah, there were some pets a time or two, and that was sad to me. But it just was life. So that's that's kind of a real deep insight into where I come from and how I think about animal protein and, and, and the importance of it. I think it's a great nutritional food for us to eat. 
I did that. Then, you know, so I was just kind of in the beef business and really horses were the thing that I love the most. Still do. I, I mean, I'm horse poor. If you've ever heard that term, got way, many, way more horses than I have use for, but I just keep raising more. You know, I keep dreaming that my girls are going <laughs> to take them and be world champion barrel racers or something. Anyways, it's a thing I love. I played sports. Oh, sorry. Do you have a no, question? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I played sports. I've always kind of filtered up to a leadership position. I'm, I was in whatever I do, I end up kind of coming to that place. I don't know. I like to be looked for. You know, I like being looked at as, okay, what are we going to do? Right? I, I just kind of like that position within the structure of a group. Now, does that mean I'm the greatest? No. I mean, I'm not the greatest. I just, I'll raise my hand for the responsibility so people give it to me. And then I deliver, you know, honest, transparent, you know, feedback and and expectations, which is what I always got expected when I was a little kid cowboy out with the big cowboys. Like, okay, cool. You're going to get in here and play this game. You got to deliver. You're not just here to say you're here. We we need uh, uh, you know result. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, I got I was played football, basketball, all those sports in high school. Started rodeo and went to college. Graduated. Didn't know what I was going to do. Went on to a uh, uh, graduate school. Was still rodeoing. Dropped out of graduate school. Came back home. Went back to work on the ranch. And my best friend since kindergarten had. You know, we were basically, we're brothers, basically. If you saw us in the same room, you'd think we're brothers. We act, you know, we know each other that well. Uh, we just aren't actually brothers. Anyways, he got made president of Peterson's, which I don't know if anybody's not familiar with Peterson's. It's that logo on my jacket there. But we make all natural, no nitrate, no OSG, uncured bacon, sausage, and ham. I had no clue what, how to raise a pig. I never showed a pig. I mean, it was just kind of a thing I never thought about until I went to work over there with him. And now 20 years later, we're, we're slaughtering something like 1,500 head of pigs a week that are raised to a global animal partnership step one standard and processing all those cuts and pieces and worried about carcass utilization and totally outside of the beef world where I grew up. Yeah. So so tell us about how you make bacon differently than others and, and what makes your product unique uh, over at Peterson's. All right. Great. Okay. So, I mean, I think first unique piece is the pigs, right? I mean, the farming practices, the humane handling practices, the antibiotic use practices. That's all pretty unique. We don't use, you know, basically any pig that we end up putting through our program has never been given an antibiotic ever. Now, that doesn't mean pigs in the herd never get antibiotics. If they get sick and they need antibiotics to heal up, well, we definitely give it to them. They just get segregated or give a different kind of ear tag or identification so they don't go into our raw material supply. That, that's the first place. You know, we just start with, yeah. A Duroc sired pig, which I think we've proven creates a really quality pork. Tastes good. Yeah. I mean, pork is really a great, flavorful 
protein. And pork chops get a little bit of a bad rap, I'm afraid, because people overcook them. But if you'll just cook those things medium rare, they are as good as a ribeye steak. Oh, yeah. I'm not BSing. I'm serious. I'm serious, people. I'm not just saying that. I mean, I think people just roll their eyes a little bit when I say that. Ah, oh, he's just trying to sell his pork. I believe it. Uh, I just don't. Oh, want especially that. when you get that two-inch thick tomahawk pork chop with. Uh, oh my goodness! I had one the other day. It was a two-inch thick tomahawk pork chop with raspberry sauce on it, on top of a uh, a um, a gouda crepe or something like that. It was just like there's so much you can do to it. You don't have to just start with drying it out and eating it, eating it, eating it all by itself. You can get pretty creative with pork. Boot leather um, tough and ketchup, you know, or yeah. <laughs> something. That, <laughs> There's a, it can be so much better. Although my parents, I mean, there are some real deep seated fears about not cooking your pork enough. Oh, yeah. I just haven't lived in a generation where I had that fear. So I'm like, why do it? So, I mean, I think that's true about everything. My perspective isn't right all the time, it's just mine. So it's just your perspective. I believe it until I find some other reason not to. Agreed. So talk about gap. Uh, talk about like to the kind of the housing methods and everything uh, you guys do there to kind of wrap that up and, and tell us about when it comes to marketing your pigs too. How do you do that differently? Sure. Now, gap, I, I think the best way for anybody to get educated about that is go Google Global Animal Partnership or find their website. Global Animal Partnership, there's five plus steps. We're step one. And basically that means we're not going to clip teeth. We're not going to uh, clip in the tail. Uh, there's certain space requirements for uh, gestation. All the gestation's done in open pens, no crates of any sort. All the farrowing's done in open pens, no crates. Uh, and all the diet is all vegetarian. Uh, Basically, really what that means is we're not feeding them a bone meal or some kind of other animal byproduct. Or like a fish meal. Right, right. Yep. So they're just getting all corn, soy, whatever, some kind of animal. There's been studies, you know, and then you start saying, you could almost say, there's been studies that say anything you could dream up in your head, right? I mean, dream it up. There's probably been a study that says something. Uh-huh. We believe, or we trust in some of the research that shows there is a chance that something conveys from one animal to another through the bone meal or the food. So we're just eliminating that chance. Gotcha. So although it might be argued, you guys are just saying, let's just eliminate the risk regardless of whether or no we... Yes. Yeah. Yep. And, and ultimately, I believe that that ends up in the consumer's hand, right? Because in my experience, the consumer says that guy will eliminate the risk and I'm slightly worried about it, so I'm going with that guy. If you find nobody's even slightly worried about it, I'm out of business because yeah. my thing is not important to anybody. Uh, I'd say the fact that we've been doing business now for over 30 years, I think this is our 30-year anniversary. Matter of fact, it is. Congratulations. started in 1992. Um, I think that's just that test of time has proven we're in a good spot. 
we're going a place that people will vote with their dollar. So I when said, you guys, oh, yeah, going, I mean, so when asking. you're when you're when you're growing your pigs then, and you're bringing them to market, what what is your messaging to consumer? What does that all look like? How, how do you guys create that niche market or 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 offer consumers that that other option? Sure. Well, one way we do it is we've just had a great relationship with Whole Foods for 20 years or more. And, and they build that trust over time as well. So somebody walks into a Whole Foods, they know they're getting some higher quality, more uh, humane treatment, uh, I guess, specific products. So that's one way through our retail partners. That's one way we're we're telling that story and making sure we're able to demand a premium for those things we do that cost more. You know, it ultimately does. You're raising less pork per square foot. You're putting higher cost inputs. You're adding labor. All those things end up where we have to have a premium to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, direct to consumer. It's simply telling that story through these conversations with you. I try to, I'm on other people's podcasts as often as I can be. We, I actually do two podcasts myself. One, I say myself, but along with other people that come on and talk about things. Peterson's Farms podcast is a great place to learn where your food comes from through the eyes of people that do business with Peterson. And the Cowboy Perspective is my way of telling my story and those things I learn turned out to be really valuable to me in business through cowboy mentorship, my parents, other people in business that have just that cowboy spirit of kind of like figure it out, fuck me off, I'm going to get back on uh, this mentality of go get it. Absolutely. So when you guys focus on where the consumer and the market is going, you yourself are a fifth generation farmer. I'm curious how that's changed your perspective. And I don't know if you have kids or if you know if you have good connections with the next generation or not, but I'm cu- I'm curious too how you think that next generation, what the sixth generation or what this next group of individuals is going to be thinking about when they start living independently uh, and leaving high school. So curious uh first, you know, fifth generation farmer, what, how does that change your perspective? Oh, I think it, it it changes my perspective in the way that I just come from it for so long, right? It 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 was how my parents were raised, it was how their parents were raised, it is how I think about everything. And my kids are now probably getting a little more removed from that truth, right? They are not have uh, being required to go dig post holes big field mm-hmm. fence. Although they do help us work cattle, they are they can give vaccinations. They have been a part of gathering cattle and doing that work and and uh-oh, we got started. They ran off. We can't quit now. <laughs> we have to go get them, you know. I mean, they're closer than most then. Yeah, they're a lot closer than most. Um I just think they're going to also be so influenced by social media in a way that no generation prior has. I realized the other day, I mean, I don't know why, just now hit, I'm 44 years old. 
there are people my age that play video games for entertainment at 44. It's kind of the early, it's the beginning of that group of people, but they, they, you know, you hear somebody saying, oh yeah, my husband's out there playing Call of Duty. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. do that, but there are people <laughs> in my age group that do. So, so imagine how much more my daughters who are 12, 10, and 8 are going to be like that. No matter how much I try to run them out of the house, their their world, their friends, their immediate conscious has to do with technology, computers, phones. And it'd be a big disservice to them, in my opinion, if I took all that away from them and sheltered them from it, because that's the reality. They're going to dream up things to make those make that world better and more awesome and fit their expectations <laughs> that that the world will want. I, you know, so why would I take that away from? Mm -hmm. Although it's scary, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that's scary about it. But hey, there was scary stuff when I was a kid. I just wasn't scared about it. Yeah, I don't even know if that answered your question. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that's that's great. It, it is so hard to understand what the next generation is going to do because, like my sister, she turned turned she turned nineteen, and. Like when I look at what she does and I'm 28, it's completely different. She grew up with social media ever since she was little. And it's yeah. kind of like I grew up and there, we didn't even have internet at the house yet. So it's just like such a huge difference. And every five, 10 years is changing what feels at an exponential rate between the generations and the gaps of, of what their experiences have been. So it will be interesting to see what that's going to bring. Uh, there is a lot of trust in what many would consider to be an untrustworthy platform, and that's social media. I mean, you, you can't trust everything you read, but regardless of whether or not we say that, with this next generation, there's a lot of trust in what's, being, what's, what's on there. And so our messagings and what, messaging and what we're saying and what people are saying about us matters more than ever before. Yeah, I mean, I've thought before, I'll just get off of social media. It's a distraction. Uh, I'm not great at it. Then I look, Then I kind of woke up and said, those conversations are happening whether I'm there or not. I need to be there. I need to be a part of this. Podcasting is one way to do it. Uh, webinars, we do a webinar every first Wednesday of every month. We're pulling together other industry thought leaders and experts to talk about just pasture raising chickens has been one topic. Uh, labeling claims has been another topic. We, we just kind of grab these topics and get these experts around the table, which I think I'm uniquely suited for that because I came up as a QA guy in a plant, uh, really didn't even know what the word HACCP meant. And I had to learn that. It was the same thing that Cody did. He's the president of the company and just worked myself up into a leadership role and so then I was a part of a lot of these conversations that ended up serious decisions came from those so now I know these people <laughs> like we're friends we've done business together we've argued we've ha had disagreements let's get around the table and, and have those arguments and disagreements and, and agreements and the listeners 
then get and I think the webinars are a really cool way to do it because they can chime in the chat with a question and we can oh, answer yeah. that question right there on the in the moment with expert. Uh, so that's been a really fun thing we started doing too. So how do you think the broader pork industry better connects to the consumer? Um, I know how you guys do it. How do you think the broader pork industry as a whole uh, tries to better tell their story? I think the biggest key is to not think the consumers are idiots. Mm -hmm. we, we have to get over that. They don't understand. You're right. They don't. There's no way they could have our experience. Think about it. As a percentage of the population, the people that have lived our experience of growing up on a farm, ranch, pork, a pork grazing operation, it almost sounded like I said pork grazing, pork raising operation <laughs> you know that there you go are, are pigs raised on pasture do they eat grass <laughs> you know somebody will say is that pasture raised pork well i don't know what do you mean by that question do you yeah mean, or do you mean they're are they living in an open space yes but they don't eat grass yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i think that's the key and, and that's hard to do i thought I'm not pointing the finger. If I was, there's a bunch of them still pointing back at me that I have these same problems. It's true in business, too. Like, you just have to understand the people writing the checks and paying the money are never stupid. They might be ignorant. They might be frustrating. But they don't intend to be. They are only trying to get the thing they want. Yeah. So I think as an industry, and that could probably go for every animal protein industry, don't be frustrated by this big uh, apparent or supposed boom in vegetarian products, vegetarian meat substitute. To me, like, I talked to a guy, his name's Jay Samick, and he, th he says this, disruption is not about what happened to you, it's about how you react to it, okay? So if you think, just always think about that. The vegetarian boom is a disruption. It's they are actually potentially trying to eliminate animal agriculture from the face of the earth. Okay, cool. How am I going to react to that? I think I'm going to not be afraid. I'm going to just stay here. We've been doing this. We know we do a good thing. It's not yeah. a bad thing. It's just people don't understand it. And we couldn't expect them to because they just, you can't expect me to understand the skateboarding culture. I, I just can't. I've never lived in it. That's great. That's I mean, great. I don't know any better way to put it. It's not accusational. It's just I yeah. think it's so important for us to not get so protective of our reality and that PETA might find out we beat a pig one time. You know, I mean, yeah, we mess up. Farmers and renters mess up. I, I've messed up. I certainly do. Okay, cool. I own it. Like, let's just own it. Some of those practices are not good. We've got to get that stuff out of our system. But the idea that PETA might tell the world we did it, I think we'll just say, yes, we did do it. I mean, you've seen a few good examples of it recently, too, within the dairy industry and the turkey industry. Humans seem to me to be the most forgiving group of people if you just own it. Like, ah, yeah, damn, I lied. I thought I could get away with it. That was the stupidest thing I ever did. 
so wish I wouldn't have done that. I am totally accountable and responsible for that. And or we made a mistake. Someone within our organization made a mistake, and we we need to make we need to make improvements. Yeah. So you had talked before we started talking about uh, kind of wrapping things up. So I think we got a really great perspective on 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 what we're what we're talking about. I think one thing I want to throw in at the end because you did say you're big into Bitcoin and NFTs, and most people would have no idea in our industry what those things are. And so if you could just uh, with NFTs, everyone I think now is understanding cryptocurrency, you know, digital form of currency, but NFTs are very interesting. And I'm curious where you think NFTs have a role in agriculture. Okay, I, I totally want to get on that topic. But before we talked about the unique things about our bacon or our process and our, I just want to say, yeah, our bacon is also tumbled in vacuum tumblers to pick up the brine instead of injected. Outside of the oh, pork, cool. that's one of that's kind of the other biggest differentiator we have. We don't inject the bellies; we vacuum tumble them. We let them soak up the brine instead of forcing the brine into them. So that was kind of a departure of where we've been. But I just have been thinking, man, I want to be sure everybody hears that about Petersons because that's a really big piece of the puzzle that, that I'm proud of and we're proud of as a company that we do it a little differently. It's a big part of why the taste would be would be different and why people could expect a difference in in that flavor. Yes. Yeah. It's a you can you can put a couple of different packages of bacon in front of me and I can tell you with a high probability of confidence, which ones were injected, which ones weren't. So you can see it. Well, just the other day I was at the store and I bought a $13 package of bacon and I thought I was crazy. My fiance would probably yell at me if she saw me spend that much on bacon, but I was like, you know what? I want to try this. I want to see is, is the flavor that much different. So I still got to cook it, but I've been trying to try all these different types of bacon to understand the differences in, uh, in flavor there. But uh, well, was it Peterson's bacon? I don't know if I got that in Iowa. I don't know if a high V search Peterson's. I got to look <laughs> yeah, for it now. We're after high V pretty hard. We're trying to get some business going with those guys. They're a great operator. We want to work with them. We haven't pulled that off just yet, but I learned also to stay in business. Like I'm no great salesman. I have a lot of ideas. I consume a lot of content around that process and and I think it's important for me to stay up on it. This is kind of what we're going to end up talking. The only reason I'm into Bitcoin, blockchain, NFT. I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. I don't like knowing there's things percolating that could certainly change the world as we know it. And I don't understand it all. So I just start like, I, I mean, I just went and did, bought Bitcoin because I wanted to know how to do it. I'm no great expert on it, but I can say I've, I own some Ethereum. I've minted an NFT. There's an NFT, a Cowboy Perspective NFT. I've minted it. It's the profile on my Twitter account. You know, did, so can, can you, what does it mean to mint an NFT? And what is an NFT? Uh, <laughs> Non-fungible token is, uh -huh. is the word. What the hell does that mean? It's like blog. What, is there an acronym? Does blog actually mean something? No, it's just it's a word that somehow got invented. It means digital diary that you put out there for everybody to read. So non-fungible token, it's just three words they slap together. That means it's a digital asset you can display ownership of. Hmm. Uh, in my mind, that's, that's great, what NFT great. is. 
So in some of these, some of these NFTs, like I, I Googled this one, it's all about exclusivity, right? Because I saw this picture it was the worst drawn pig in my life. We were just Googling pig NFTs for the fun of it. It's $185,000 for a looks like a, a kindergartner drew a pig. And it's just crazy uh, how the exclusivity of these NFTs are driving up the value. Sure. And it's, it's this new hot thing you've all probably, I mean, you might could say bell-bottom pants at one time, right? Oh, they were hot and everybody would pay whatever it took to get them. Well, they finally died. I think the thing about NFTs that's not going to die is the structure behind them, the contracts behind them. Like these NFTs are not just this picture that you see, but there's also, uh, you can tie contracts to them. You can tie yeah. uh, access to like you said, exclusivity. Okay, so if you have this NFT, now you're in the group and this group gets together and has these big parties. Or like if, uh, like, let's say uh, Brad Paisley gets an NFT and or Toby Keith gets an NFT. And if you own one of his NFTs, then you have exclusive front row access to any of his concerts. Right. That, yeah. that's, the, that's what they're tying them to. Totally. You bet. And then when you resell it, there's royalties paid there. You could just structure them. They're so dynamic. I mean, the fact is, I'm not sure anybody really knows how to play them just yet because they're so new. So I minted one, which you just go onto a website, say you want to mint it, you pay your Ethereum, or this was an Ethereum-based I'm not sure they've even started minting NFTs off of the Ethereum blockchain yet, but maybe yeah. they are. They're minting them probably on some other blockchains. And that's, see, that just sounds like gibberish. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I could totally <laughs> imagine does. somebody's listening to this and just thinks, well, he's talking gibberish. <laughs> I thought the same thing. That's, I encourage you to spend 15 minutes a week. I probably put two hours a week into just chasing the rabbit of blockchain and just getting involved, deciding I was going to mint one just because I don't care what it costs. I want to know that I could do it. I did it. Yay. It's out there on OpenSea. Somebody could buy it. I priced it really high. <laughs> you know, I'm, nobody's probably ever going to buy it because I priced it really high. And then I thought, well, if they do buy it, I'm happy. Yeah. But I will have to deliver some things on the backside of that. My The NFT I minted, comes along with a real cowboy experience. You spend some time out on the ranch with me and the cowboys. And uh, I think experiences are the key. Like yeah. That might be the key to what peer to peer experiences that and the greater pork market needs to think about that. What is people's experience with our industry and how can we make that amazing? That's what I think about a lot with Peterson's and anything we do. Because people, eventually, we all realize, I'm 44, I, I, I learned about 40 that I don't know anything. You know, until then, I thought I was brilliant. You know, it's funny how that little thing turned. Probably happened for you, Matthew. Or, or if you could, you'd need to turn that switch sooner. Because I missed a lot of opportunity in my life thinking I knew something about stuff. second I realized I don't know anything. Ah, the world opened up so much, and I, I'm, I'm not embarrassed. I, I, who cares? Yeah, I don't know anything, and I've been running the company now for 20 years, and we've grown over a thousand percent over that time. I mean, we're in lots of zeros at the end of the 
amount of business we do. Big whoop-de-doo. Is it a fun experience? Is it adding value to the world? Those are real valuable truths that I, I want people to go after. I want, if you hear me, if you think I, I know anything about anything, I encourage you to think about stuff in that way. So, so a couple of questions we wrap things up with is one is what is something about you most people do not know or that your colleagues do not know? And the other one is just a golden nugget, which maybe you'll even build off of what you went on there with. But uh, yeah, what's something about you most people don't, don't know that are pretty close to you? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I got to start with the golden <laughs> nugget because I can't come up with the other one. But I do know a really golden nugget that has been for me. I went to the Harvard Agribusiness School. Oh, it was probably 15 years ago. And there was a guy speaking, and he talked about uh, Mr. Simplot that started J.R. Simplot. is a huge mm -hmm. uh, West Coast, even multinational company now. And he was talking to this guy that were walking through a pasture, and he said, Mr. Simplot, what, like, if you could go back, what would you do differently? And he said, he looked at him square in the eyes and said, I'd think bigger. And he, he thought, man, that was the biggest statement to me because he's like the biggest businessman I ever saw. And he thought he thought he didn't think big enough. So I, I really challenged myself and my team, think abundance, think bigger. It's not scarcity. Um, and, and you're going to be better off. You're going to look back at the end of your career, or the end of this experience and say, OK, cool. And, and you may never actually think big enough, but if you're striving to think bigger, that's the golden nugget, people. Think bigger. Think bigger picture. Think more than just what's in front of me and my task right now. Think bigger. Whatever you think your max capability is, is probably 100 times that. Well, thank you for joining the Popular Pig Podcast and for your golden nugget. That was great. And we can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your day to share your knowledge, experience, and uh, journey with listeners. Well, you're very welcome. And uh, like I said, I hope this time was valuable. I hope it wasn't wasted on anybody. It's, you can't get it back. So I'm very sensitive to that truth. Uh, I want it to be fun, engaging, and valuable. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.